0: Hi, i'm tina desiree berg reporting for status coup news this week on the right-wing insanity report i am bringing in a guest eddie kim he writes for mel magazine based out of san francisco currently but you've also seen his work in the guardian vice news and other uh, areas he writes about right-wing extremism obviously from an asian point of view so we're going to talk today about not only the increase in asian hate crimes at the um, hands of right-wing extremists, but also the fact there is right-wing extremism that exists within the community. So welcome, Eddie.
1: Tina, thank you very much for having me.
0: Yes. Very excited to have this conversation. This is one area of right wing extremism that just doesn't seem to be getting a lot of attention. And I think it should be. We've been seeing massive increases in hate crimes against the Asian community for the last three years running. Mm -hmm. I wanted to put up this article to show you uh, 2021, the explosion we had. We don't have the data yet for 2022. It's, you know, January, the first week of January. So they haven't released that yet. But I think um, given what I've been seeing this year, it won't be uh, shocking to have another increase. But The number of hate crimes in California rose for the third year in a row in 2021 and included a sizable uptick in the number of anti-Asian crimes, according to a report from the Attorney General. The California Department of Justice released its annual report on hate crimes on Tuesday morning, noting 1,763 reported hate crimes, up from 33% the year prior, which is, you know, I think a lot of people thought that when Trump was gone, this stuff would kind of tamp down, and it hasn't. Uh, Hate against Asian Americans saw another year of triple digit percentage increases with crimes increasing 177.5%. So I wanted to, you know, talk with you a little bit about this. I don't think it's abating yet. And I think it's uh, I think it was originally being driven by COVID. You know, Trump called it the Chinese flu, the Asian flu. Um, It just sort of started this chain reaction snowball where people were blaming lockdowns. Uh, you know, just having the disease itself on the Asian community, which is completely unfounded. But I think that started the ball rolling. But I also don't think it's the only thing influencing that. Um, What is your perspective?
1: Well, it's so strange because, you know, obviously I've been talking to my parents about this. They actually moved in retirement back to South Korea last year. And one of the last conversations I had with them was about The need for me to stay safe doing the work that i do being out at protests and things like that but also the feeling like um the hens had come home to roost uh, as my dad kind of put it in the sense that i think for a lot of asian people in this country there is a sentiment that we are an invisible minority not vilified in quite the same way as the black and latino communities but still subject to a lot of harassment and a lot of violence and there's been a lot of Uh, academia and reportage on exactly why that's persisted for so long since the immigration waves of the 1970s till now. Um, And it it really is uh, a moment where I think with the increased visibility around Asian people and Asian Americans specifically, with Trump's sort of declaration Mm -hmm. around the China virus um, and sort of the right wing acceptance of that rhetoric, But i think it also made us visible in the sense that in some statistical ways certain groups of asian americans are excelling in america right now you know in terms of the arguments about um college admissions and affirmative action a lot of asians are on the side of hey we are high achieving we have demonstrated something we are perhaps the model minority and I really pushed back against that rhetoric, the model minority myth and how harmful it is and how it flattens Asian Americans, which is such a 2D term to begin with, into sort of a a singular body. When in fact, Asian Americans is a demographic that has some of the fastest rising wealth inequality in all of America, right? But I think that increased visibility made Asian Americans more of a threat it made them seem even more other than before and it's not just because of the covid relationship but i think decades of our communities expanding um gaining some generational wealth in some demographics and otherwise becoming a little bit more visible a little bit more visible a little bit more visible and it made me think about this 2020 paper that i just read in the journal criminology and it basically looks at how hate crimes come from Uh, inspirations around political threat and emboldenment of people who are uh, opposed to certain kinds of change, progressivism, and certainly growth in minority communities. And I found it fascinating that, you know, immediately after emancipation in 1865, the Ku Klux Klan formed as a means to preserve white supremacy, right? Right. Um, And when members of the black community gained economic status in various U.S. cities through the middle of the century, the communal backlash against them from white America and extremists was very, very severe. And so I think in moments of visibility and legitimacy, hey, Asian Americans are a part of America. Um, Asian immigrants are a part of America and continue will continue to be. It just right. made the threat seem so much more clear. Um, and I think that is continuing to persist. And it's just one in sort of a, a rainbow of different right wing Um, things, subjects that they believe are battlegrounds. And that also includes LGBTQ spaces, drag expression. Um, It also involves uh, myths around black criminality and violence. It's all the same stuff. And they're sitting at this buffet right now seeing what's gonna stick today, what's gonna stick today. And unfortunately, as we've seen from these hate crime numbers, Asian American targets have uh, just, been Exploded. that much more obvious yeah that much more clear you know
0: and i wonder you mentioned uh um, you mentioned higher education and i think that is an interesting uh conversation to have right now because there is a backlash to the admittance numbers of asian americans in um, ivy league schools public ivy ivy league schools and whatnot um, and do you think that maybe the jealousy surrounding that or the anger surrounding that is is real because now you've got maybe some white guys that have not uh, applied themselves in the same way as an asian american student might have right didn't do didn't do quite as much homework to get all the a's and ap classes right. didn't maybe do well on the sat whatever but instead of really taking a look at themselves they're going to blame the, you know, the fact that there's a lot of Asian Americans that did do that work and were admitted, um, you know, into into these universities. And I have to say, when I was at UC Irvine, I was kind of turned off a lot by some of the rhetoric that even existed then. They would call UCI the uh, University of Chinese immigrants. Like it was a yeah. thing that the white dudes would say. And I would be like, wow, really? I'm like, you're just pissed because you guys, you know, don't rule the roost anymore, so to speak. And when so, we got rid of, um, let me say this, when we got rid of affirmative action, it had the opposite effect. All of these guys were convinced that that's why these students were getting in to the university or UC, right? Turns out that wasn't the case and then even fewer white dudes were admitted, like the the numbers of women that got increased as well. So so oopsie on that, but what are your thoughts on that?
1: it's a good point and it's something that i'm trying to parse out right now i'm writing a long essay on meritocracy and higher education and simply the fact that listen the vast majority of asian people who go to um you know higher education in this country do not go to ivy leagues they do not go to prestigious schools right? right the vast majority of ivy league seats go to white people who have legacy, legacy. Uh, who have <laughs> athletics, who have other forms right. of merit, which right. often in this country, that means daddy or mommy paid a lot of That's know, right. big bucks to a school. And so, for yes. So number one, yes, Tina. I absolutely have heard the, the bitterness, the sort of jealousy around Asian achievement in academia, you know, the typical digs about, oh, you know, they have no personalities, they're just good at studying. In fact, that's right. what Harvard University, this lawsuit against them right now. That's what they're trying to parse out with the Supreme Court is that, you know, why is there such a huge gap between um, what teachers and cohorts say about a student, not just academically, but in terms yeah. of their personality and their generosity, whatever their character traits. And why are Harvard admissions people saying, "Oh, these Asian kids are kind of boring and they're flat, and we don't their grades might be good, but they're not. They're scoring low on things like curiosity and courage." Which is I nuts. Is that is, afraid.
0: oh my god. Yeah, I saw so, that. It's so crazy.
1: Yeah. Right. And so now we see it once again how the idea of a model mi- uh, minority myth cuts both ways. Right. You can't right. have it both ways, and yet that's exactly how the rhetoric spreads. You know, either uh, people are doing too well. Um, and that's why literally it's 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 a white man who is leading the charge on this affirmative action lawsuit with the Supreme Court, has for a very long time um right. and but has gotten a coterie of Asian voices and supporters who are also right. believing that you know this this excellence is inherent and needs to be protected in, in some way. You know, I, I think <sighs> if you look further into the research, it's so much more complicated than that. Of course, Even yeah. You know, here in San Francisco, there's huge controversy over a prestigious public school named Lowell, and it has a disproportionately high Asian population. And honestly, uh, research is starting to show that in environments like that, if you put anybody, including a student who is struggling into that environment with better resources, cohorts and peers who are more engaged, et cetera, et cetera turns out that their achievement increases. And so right. it's just a <laughs> right. very complicated swirl of identity politics and so yep. sort of social pride too, right? Like I was taught that I needed to be studious because that was going to be my way of like making it in the world. Right. I don't know, you know, at 32, whether that's panned out exactly the way I envisioned at 17, but yeah. uh, nonetheless, this is something that also comes from within our own homes. That's um, right. And our it's culture,
0: cultures. but you know, it's not just Asian cultures that view uh, education that way. A lot of exactly. the Scandinavian c- countries do too, but nobody wants to talk about the way Finland perceives its education no, system. No, nobody wants
1: to talk about Nigerian uh, excellence in American right. higher Cuban ed. Cuban even, uh, I mean, you know. <laughs> yes, that's right. The list <laughs> I mean, goes on. Yeah. But to, to, to kind of circle back, I think this is why it's so interesting to wonder, why does white America uh, look at asians as a threat and when do we not appear as a threat because i've also written about the uh sort of biases and racism within like the dating pool um online uh dating pools and 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 sexual culture um asian men routinely rank the lowest uh, among all uh groups racially in terms of attractiveness in that online setting so there's a lot going on and i think what has been very good to see is that in one way or another, Asian families, Asian couples, um, Asian communities are talking about this and thinking about this explicitly. Uh, And unfortunately, I think for all the good that that does, it also leads some people down the rabbit hole. um, Right. Down the rabbit hole of saying why is society like this? How do I fix it? And I think that's where a lot of certainly right-wing extremists stand and how they see themselves in the mirror. And that includes Asian extremists who are right-wing. And I think something that is not very much discussed in this country, and I'm I'm mulling a magazine story on it, is what Asian conservatism looks like, what Mm -hmm. Asian reactionaries sound like. Um, And I think that is a, a really sort of untapped world Oh, Um, I agree. Again, very deep roots in America and and sort of original waves of immigration here.
0: You know, in fact, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. I want to talk about an article you wrote in Mel Magazine in regards to the way the right wing extremists fantasize about Asian women, because I think this is pertinent to the conversation as well. But yeah, right wing extremists within the uh, Asian community absolutely exist. I have interviewed several of them, including one that was a sovereign citizen. Uh-huh. Um, and the, that's a that is an incredibly extreme anti government viewpoint, right? Right-wing right wing militia, like I don't believe in paying taxes, kind of viewpoint. So, any community is uh, not going to be monolithic, right? There's uh-huh. going to be expansion of beliefs politically and otherwise within the community. And I just think people struggle with uh, when they when they look at a community that they're not a member of, it's just more easy and convenient for them if they can put it into a box which is never the right thing to do because you're going to lead yourself down all kinds of wrong pathways. Um, You published a piece I want to put up for a second here because I thought this was a really good um, lens with which to discuss this particular subject material. Asian women have always been a deadly obsession of white men. Um, And, you know, I think that this is definitely true. We can see it not only with the stereotype, right, but just in the real world. Um, You're opening this piece talking about uh, the guy that committed this horrible mass shooting um, of several uh, spas. Um, He fetishized and otherwise scapegoated for a pandemic abuse behind closed doors, even gunned down. Asian hatred is is a designed piece of the American experiment. Yeah. So at some point on Tuesday, March 15th, a 21-year-old uh, with a Richard Spencer haircut, which is that very fascist haircut, and a scraggly red beard walked into Big Woods, Go- Big Woods Goods in Canton, Georgia, and bought a 9 millimeter pistol. Um, he planned on driving to more spas and massage parlors in Florida, but for now, the motive is officially unclear. There's no end to the chatter on chambores meaning 8chan 4chan yep. read it in twitter about why robert aaron long chose spas that were allegedly asian owned was it a race, race racist hate crime was he more of a misogynist was it a religious fervor based on his baptist beliefs i'm guessing it's probably a little bit of all of that but uh, yeah. walk us through your thoughts on this
1: you know in that next paragraph i basically say maybe a motive is almost beyond the point because again and again we've seen um, young and middle-aged and older uh, white male shooters, uh, killers, um, choose to go out in the sort of the trope of a blaze of glory. Um, And even if they have manifestos, even if they have online Reddit posts, even if they have sort of a journal that seems to explain what happened, I mean, often violent expression is just, the last thing someone thinks about, it's effectively suicide. Um, And so it's confusing. And instead of it being like, oh, like Trump talked about COVID and that's what inspired this guy to go out. I think it's so much more complicated than that. I think it uh, is an example of how there is great harm in a lack of representation and a lack of humanization of minority people in this country. And so when somebody like that gentleman goes into a fury and goes into their own radicalized spiral, and they need to get it out, they need to get that feeling out, they're going to look to people that they think, oh, there will be others who are on my side, at least. You know, it it may be less of a pointed, I'm going to look for an Asian person and do it. Although, of course, that happens. I don't want to downplay explicit acts of Asian targeting. Right. But sometimes I think it's just that society has painted people in, in a way that makes them seem less important, less human, um, and more symbolic rather than in, an individual of flesh and bone. And, and I think, you know, I, I kept thinking about that while writing that piece. Maybe that's me trying to um, downplay some of the human horror of all of this. But um, I, I think the genuine reality and, and why it's not easy to fix this through conventional means like policing and criminal right. justice it is because this is the result of decades and decades and decades of political and social pressure yeah. that makes certain people feel under attack now if you really look hard the people under attack are muslims are undocumented latina people are um you know undocumented asian people are poor asian people but but i think the narrative has made it such where You know, we talk a lot about the great replacement theory among white extremists and white conservatives. Um, I think this is an expression of that, of that fear, of that tension. And so, yeah, it is obvious that he bought a gun and and was looking for the right target. The right target happened to be Asian women. And when you look back decades and decades into the 1800s, into even the 1700s, um, you see that Asian women have been fetishized as yeah. both. Dossal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and and they've both been portrayed positively and negatively within right. that trope in American right. culture and film, et cetera. And so right. when you think, when somebody thinks of uh, who can I kill and get, kind of get away with it, maybe that's what plays into this, this sort of invisibility of the real humanity of the community. Um, and yeah, I certainly... Other minority communities know exactly what this is like when they are targeted yeah. as a result of white fear, um, and that's exactly why you know Tulsa burned down. Right, you know, that was Black Wall Street, uh, and that's not a coincidence. Um, but it's also not as easy as saying, "Oh, people planned on just destroying the Black economic sort of market, and that's their goal." And they brought it Right, no. there's so much more behind it.
0: There is so much more behind it. Um. I wanted to um, switch gears and talk about right wing extremism within the Asian community. I think this is a really important part of the conversation, too. I think a lot of people on the outside that don't pay attention to these movements are often shocked to discover that there are, you know, quote unquote, white nationalists that are not white, (laughs) and and it's a thing as a thing everywhere not just within the asian community but also within the hispanic community the black community yeah. you name it it exists um you know it's sort of predicated i think as roots in just uh, fascist nationalist ideals to begin with and, and it just grows from there i think what's unique about uh the interior of the asian community is it's often perceived on the outside as uh the closest proximity to white yeah and um, i want to i want to highlight for a minute that a lot of the old school uh, nationalists right and also race scientists race uh, race based scientists that want to talk about race being real and attributes being assigned to race right a lot of them have had to grapple with Asian data on i q and a whole host of other things because it doesn 't fit neatly into their. There's a hierarchy, and white people are at the top, right? Yeah. So, so it's a it's a very messy conversation. Um, I want to pull up an article that I thought <clears throat> this is from the uh, Global Network for Extremism. So they do a lot mm-hmm. of reporting on and research in this area, where they're talking about. I want to scroll down to this one paragraph. Oopsie, hang on, just lost my mouse. There we go. Um, that really kind of gets to the crux of this. Um, So it is crucial to recognize that far-right, alt-right, or even red pill movements that exist in Southeast Asia are just as heterogeneous and diverse as the people living in the region. As part of this, the extremist ideology adopted by the two detainees in Singapore should not be interpreted as an unprecedented phenomena in Southeast Asia, but one that has existed for some time and has been generally accepted. The general hostility towards communism and socialism, and I think this is part of the conversation right there, mainly amongst the Asian five countries can uh, make it difficult to treat far-right and alt-right ideas as potential problems, especially when many of the concepts were borrowed from recent recent Western far-right thoughts to be reshaped and Mm. localized for mainstream appeal. Although it is tempting to conclude that both youths and adopted Western-style far-right extremism in response to Islamic extremism—I can't get that out—this is only a superficial interpretation. It is necessary to dive deeper into the ongoing politics of othering, be it Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, or any other Southeast Asian state. Existing far-right movements in various states uh, share ethno-religious aspirations to preserve the purity of their respective nations, separate from the presence of other religions or ethnicities that are not considered to have a legitimate claim in the state. And I think also, you know, getting rid of globalism in general that they feel has been very uh, problematic yes. uh, for the country. I think Malaysia, yes. you could look at that for. So what what is your take on that? Do you think that's sort of a good lens to view these things from as a starting point? What are your thoughts? Oh,
1: it's a big lens. Um, you know, one of the core questions that that example makes me think about and that article, which is excellent, makes me think about is, you know, how do modern eras of political and cultural division, and especially uh, economic inequality, how do they lead right. to extremist violence as, a, uh, as counterculture? Um, and, and what picture of the past exists to inspire the reactionary ideas today. Yeah. Um, and when you think about things like national purity, what I really think about is things used to be better when things were simpler and things were more stable. Yeah. And we can, blame, <laughs> right. we can blame cultural heterogeneity as the, the thing. You know, a lot of people, including in the West, fetishize, well, especially Western far-right extremists, often fetishize places like Japan and South Korea, which are very yeah. homogeneous nations, and they believe that that creates stability. Yeah. That's ironic, because when you talk it's, about yeah. Yeah, Asian reactionaries and Asian far-right, I mean, South Korea, I wrote about this for Mel extensively, they voted in their sort of de facto Trump figure. You know, uh, cr- you know Korean, South Korean President Yoon Suk-yol, who ran on sort of young male discontent. He ran on talking points that were anti-feminist, that were anti-communist, that were um, basically kind of from the buffet table that we see Western extremists pull from in terms of political rhetoric. I'm not saying it's the exact same situation. America is a very, very different country. But I think that's a good example of how, you know, things are not always what they seem. And I want to bring that back home to the us uh, to the point i made earlier that asian conservatism is a powerful force you know on my tiktok thread right now or fyp right now i can see memes about young asian people saying uh there go my parents saying something toxic or cancelable again because this exists in our uh, our communities racism um classism colorism Colorism exists huge. in the That's Asian huge actually. Community. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, exactly. And and that goes back to what I said about how Asian Americans as a demographic have some of the worst wealth inequality in the last 25 years. Um, and it's because we're not, we're, we're sort of grouping everyone together. But um, to that point, uh, I think there is even a huge phenomenon of young Asian Americans in this country and people on social media spaces um, talking about very like racist white supremacist talking points like hey yeah. what the media won't talk about is all these hate crimes are done by black people and like if only common sense policing would come back if we could lock up all these black violent people wow. uh then you know we could save our asian elders from being assaulted and of course there's no real you know within those thought circles there's not real interrogation of why there's a higher rate of black crime in this country you know it's it's the you know The black on black, black on white violence uh, debate all over again, just with an Asian lens. And so
0: that's kind um, of disturbing. But, yeah, I'm not surprised.
1: Yes. I mean, there are uh, Asian social media accounts that just put up footage of black people uh, assaulting Asian people and say, this is what the media won't show you. It's very like 1994 you know, cable news sort yeah, of- Yeah, it feels very 1994
0: predator. post-Rodney King yes. civil unrest to me, you know, that right. they, tr- uh, they try to, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, yeah. we can have that conversation. What, that's where this term roof Korean comes from, right?
1: Yes. Oh, <laughs> I actually had that in my notes. I'm glad you mentioned that. Like the, the and, and similarly in white extremist circles, especially online in terms of social media and memes, rooftop Korean- from the L.A. riots, uh, the images of, of, of folks standing on their roof, uh, business roofs with shotguns and rifles and right. handguns defending against uh, sort of this faceless imagined horde of right. black and brown people. I mean, it's a horrible thing that happened. I wrote an article about why rooftop Koreans have become such a powerful meme for Second Amendment sort of Proud Boy types. And Yeah, it's, it's weird very, all very these
0: decades later, like decades later, yeah. this all of a sudden has become a thing. And I've had kids ask me, like, what is the root of that? And I'm like, 1992, like when I was in college, like it's weird.
1: And honestly, it, it feels a lot like let's boil it down. Look at this model minority yeah. doing what nobody else had the guts to do, which is shoot right. guns at black let's and brown people who trying them. to take yeah. their stuff. Yeah, it, it's right. a tokenizing process. Now, I have family members who lived through that experience yeah. for real. And it's not a cool thing that they want to make like fascist memes about it was like a horribly traumatic experience and a wake-up call and you know, I, I think certainly it left uh, uh, some Asian people with a bitter taste in their mouths about their fellow minority communities and feeling victimized by that. I think you can't really help it when
0: no, it of course you can't the way
1: it does. But, I you know, also see. Can I just interject it. this
0: yeah. right here? Mm-hmm. I think the thing that that still sticks with me to the to this day. I mean, I was like you know 22 or something when this happened. But Daryl Gates, our our then police chief, who was an incredibly racist individual, like. Horrifyingly racist was at a fundraiser, ignoring what happened, Mm -hmm. and his instruction had had gone out to the LAPD to just not intervene. Just
1: not intervene. So Mm
0: -hmm. really, this is a a, a racist white dude basically telling two different minority groups that I don't give a shit what you do to each other, burn down your you know businesses, go after each other, whatever. It's not my problem. It's not as long as you don't come into the white wealthy neighborhoods, it's fine. I mean that's sort of the messaging that he was putting out. And I know that you know at the time several LAPD officers are like, "Why can't we go? People need help. This is insane. Why is he preventing us? Why are we in this parking lot for hours and hours just standing here?" I mean, it was there were so many messed up things from uh, from that 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 happened. And I think to come forward 25 years later and decide that this is a good thing to create a meme over is just really off-putting on so many levels.
1: It's super, super off-putting, but. I'm not at all surprised, right? I mean, I think so much of um, modern right-wing expression is sort of couched in irony and layers yeah. of sort of sarcastic right. support. You know, when I think about how the Proud Boys um, sort of appropriated the Swahili term for freedom as their like rallying cry, yeah, y- right, you know, yeah. It, it, it's just, you see the jokes kind of writing themselves uh, for that yeah. community. And I think it's the same thing. Now, what I think the real harm is, is when this rhetoric, which is so infused with this regressive idolization of an America that once was, and sort of subliminal and often explicit ideas about white supremacy yeah um and how there is a hierarchy in america and why right. asians being closer to that white hegemony is actually right. a good thing i think all those feelings have led to pushing actual asian people into extremist circles i mean
0: okay that makes sense
1: yeah i mean we we know the phenomenon of groups like Latinos for Trump or whatever, right. we we know about how Cuban conservatism has led to a lot of uh, political division and support for right wing candidates from brown people in places like right. Florida. We know about that, but I think right. also now what we're seeing is uh, a rising movement of Asian reactionary thought, and mm-hmm. that can that that I think is what pushes a, a guy like Tony Moon. Um, out yeah. onto the streets, uh, you know, quote unquote, the rooftop Korean who's out and about in Los Angeles going to rallies, you know, trying yeah. to weaponize water bottles to smack people over the head with and and right. running with a group um, who, who claim to be pulling security and, and want to be leaders on the front lines. I mean, right in some ways to the asian stereotype that's so radical like it's incredibly radical right yeah we are not supposed to be doing that <laughs> um but uh it, it's it's and i guess the counterpoint. and you're right is, it is
0: incredibly reactionary it's it is
1: it is um because to me i almost think of what i heard from some of my elder family members who had immigrated to america talking about oh america is the best you know uh, you know america is like you want to move into a nice white rich neighborhood you want to make your money like you want to put your head down it's a a lot of those attitudes i think have evolved and it's evolved with that bitterness that i was talking about about a lack of visible human representation um and really the Asian community not being seen as a monolith. And so I think that's very inspiring to folks who want to join militias and front lines and really cause a splash. So they're just,
0: they're pushing back against that stereotype of like, no, we're not all the same. Like you think just because I'm Asian, I think this. Yeah, I totally see that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of psychoanalysis around why would someone want to be a token member of a community? Hey, maybe that comes into it too. But I really think that It is an evolution of conservative thought that existed in Asian, especially East Asian uh, communities. And that's, you know, my experience being Korean Um, evolving into something new. Just like it has for other parts of American society, right. you know 25 years ago we couldn't have imagined the insurrection uh, when it happened for me, it was the most obvious thing that could happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, like, uh, yeah. it was like,
0: yes, of course that happened. Anybody that had been paying attention to these groups were like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, right. that happened. So this is a uh, good point yeah. about
1: how like the movement of the overturn window or the normalization right. of certain forms of politics, uh, how that yeah. movement toward the right affects all people. you know, right. victims, yes. To go back to the start of our conversation victims absolutely but also inspiring new members of extremist groups and um if i'm if i'm going to be fair i would also say that there's a lot of energy among young asian people to become anarchists to become a part of antifa sort of circles to 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 serve as the extremist front line um in defense of things that
0: That Um, they see as fascist. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and, and protection of things that they feel is important. So, you know, not to both sides this, but to say that this energy um, and context is leading people into new territory, I believe is actually really, really true. Um,
0: Oh, I think it's definitely true. Um, You know, I think back, I had there's a uh, L.A. Proud Boy who is uh, Asian. I think I believe he's from Vietnam, but I'm not 100 percent sure. But. You know, I had this conversation with him one day. This was about three, four years ago, actually, and it, I've never been able to let go of it because it was so. It was yeah. really a stunning conversation for me. What he said, he was being frank, and he told me he told me that when he moved to this country, he his parents or when his parents moved to this country, not him, he was uh, not here yet. When his parents moved to this country, they were uh, sponsored by Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. And so I thought to myself, and I said to him, quite frankly, I said, so then how can you do what you do now? I, I, I really want you to explain this to me. And then he said, well, Nazis don't exist anymore. And I'm like nazis don't exist anymore but they do and he's like no they don't nazis died out in 1943 and i'm like that's a ridiculous way to reframe this conversation you're basically trying to say if you're not associated directly with world war ii germany that that ideology has no place and i'm like that's ridiculous that's absurd of course it does um and then i went Ah. to his facebook profile page and do you recall when bernie sanders did that rally and I believe it was Arizona, and and a group of guys threw a swastika over the side of the mm-hmm. railing yes. in the middle of the speech. So he had a a photo of that on his Facebook page with a giant circle around it. And then in the conversation was a bunch of P you know P-Y-O-B. I knew you it was you guys hearts hearts like so the whole nine yards. So um, I that's stunning to me, right? You came to this country. Because of Holocaust survivors, but yet here you are siding with folks that would see Jewish people not exist, more or less. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, how do you square you know, that
0: circle? It's a wild thing because it yeah. is deeply reactionary. And I think it's rooted in, I really do think, and um, Eddie, and I'd like to know your thoughts on this too. I think a lot of it's deeply rooted in anti-communism, Right whether that's real or not doesn't matter. Um, You know, the American perception of what communism is, right? Yeah. Reactionary to that.
1: Yeah, you know, the anti-communism movement, if you will, maybe just rhetoric, and the anti sort of communist uh, party of China sort of thing is really fascinating because for a hundred years in America, it's just been this catch-all boogeyman Right. That, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, if you let too many yeah. immigrants in, you're communist. If right. if you, Workers if you want to increase Communists. Medicaid, yeah. it's communist. God, right. right. It's um, you know, I even wrote for Vice recently about uh, some online agitators who are trying to push MAGA communism, which yeah. is, I mean, these are theory nerds. These are like Marxist theory nerds, and they think I like, know. oh, we, we're going to sell MAGA communism to the MAGA crowd, and we're gonna, no, you're it's not going to accelerate <laughs> political. <laughs> So this is to say communism isn't right. often about communist policy or even communist right. ideology or theory. What, what it means instead is it is the antithesis of of the thing that affirms America's greatness and a certain kind of America. Boom, a, that a, a is A capitalist, it. Yes. hierarchical America, right. where to me, it, this America that people dream of, that extremist dream of, equality isn't the goal, individuality is. Right. And that's what shapes these super incoherent views on the yeah. CCP and communism, because I mean, if you go to Shenzhen, you can you can be a money loving, living it up capitalist and have a great time in China. But nobody wants to right. think about that. They are on on Chan boards right. and on, on Telegram and stuff. They just talk about this um like omnipotent evil. that It just uh, it doesn't yeah.
0: make sense. I mean, at this point, China has state state sponsored capitalism is what I right. is how I refer to it. But it it right. is definitely not a. Uh, command economy anymore. So the idea that it is is kind of absurd to me. Um, On that note, I actually want to play a couple of videos so people understand what we're talking about. I know you've seen this. Um, Let me explain it before I I play some of this. But uh, there has been a prevalent movement at every single Trump rally I've been at, at every single Proud Boy rally I've been at, that is anti-CCP. There is always a group there that have their anti-CCP signs. And there is always, and I swear to God, without fail, a car that drives around the rally with bullhorns coming out of it that constantly says anti-CCP repeatedly over and over again dialogue that they project. So this is definitely a thing. Um, I interviewed Andy Campbell, who is the author of We Are Proud Boys. He's uh, the editor at Huffington Post. One of the things that he told me that I thought was super fascinating is he had researched where all of the um, GoFundMe donations were coming in. For Proud Boys to uh, for their legal defense and uh, like a vast majority of it was coming from Chinese immigrants, which I thought was shocking.
1: Yes, yes. but That's here we something are. That shocked me as well. Yeah, yeah, and and hey, what better evidence of a legitimate Asian conservatism slash reactionary movement, right? Than that? I mean, yeah. to, to to take the enemy of my enemy is my friend to that degree. Extreme. Um, <laughs> it you can only you can only sort of distill it into into one thing you believe that america that you want is under attack from forces and that any means are necessary to to repel that quote-unquote attack right they think
0: uh biden and any sort of democratic party infrastructure is being infiltrated by the ccp they actually uh, in fact let's play this video i have two videos we can play them both but I I, just so people can get an idea of what we're talking about if they haven't seen this before.
2: Good afternoon, America. This is Prince. And
0: this is Evelyn.
2: And we're from the new federal state of China. We're outside here at America Fest 2022 at Phoenix Convention Center. Today, more than 100 supporters from all around the world of NFSC has shown up here to support our cause. And uh, we're so honored to be invited by MFAS and by TPUSA to have two main stage speeches, as well as two booths, uh, 126 and 127 in the exhibition area. So we're the people of New Federalist of China and our mission is to take down the evil Chinese Communist Party.
0: Thank you, Prince. Uh, Today we have met a lot of uh, freedom loving Americans and uh, people from other countries to celebrate this uh, huge event uh, and the uh, people stay our boost and know uh, about our mission and uh, uh, most of our, uh, all of them are were amazed that what we are doing right now they know that we're risking our life to take down the chinese communist party and to stop the infiltration uh, of um, of america from the China, by the chinese government take, take down, down the the CCP. ccp take down the ccp
1: take down the ccp 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 take down the, CCP.
0: Take down the CCP. Hmm. <laughs> so new federal state of china is this this thing that's out there now i'm not sure who's funding them i'm curious hmm. uh, to know if anyone's doing work into trying to like peel the layers back on that onion but it's this thing all of a sudden that is the, I think the natural outcome of this anti-CCP movement that we've seen kind of escalating for the last few years.
1: First of all, I just want to make a joke that that's the weirdest Shen Yun promotion I've ever seen. <laughs> um, <but Yes. laughs> jokes aside, uh, that's bizarre. I that, Actually, that was a new one, um, uh, the new federal state of China. And it. what's bizarre about it, right, is that there are, a, there are autonomous movements in China to increase right. democratic rights, to increase certain forms of representation um, to free places like uh, Xinjiang and, and Tibet. Um, and this right. is not that. This is not no. even, um, hey, the CCP is failing to take care of uh, the rural poor and our nationalist policies on that front have regressed. Right. The, it's not that, it's take down the CCP. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's it's, it's, I think it's TV organically.
0: An, yeah, I think it's an organically yeah. 100% American. I do not think that this yeah. is a movement started in China that's come here to the right, United States. Right, I think it's being funded right. by some right wing extremists of some sort. I, but um, but it's just wild that this is like, be, it's increasing in, in a way. And it's, and it's, you're right, it's incredibly reactionary. But it's also like, what is the end game of this?
1: And it swirls some competing facts, right? For Mm -hmm. instance, there are some big time, as you already know, um, uh, protests in China against the CCP's policies regarding COVID. Um, And there are people right now, Chinese young people who are coming out in support of those protests and saying, hey, the Chinese government needs to do things differently. Mm -hmm. But that is swirling with and adding to this other kind of communist discontent. Which is very little to do with living conditions in China and very much to do, I think, with American hegemony. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I agree. Why?
0: Because it's the biggest threat to the American empire, right? At this I, point, China is the biggest threat, economically,
1: power-wise. Sure. Of course, yeah, I mean. Sure. I mean, uh, but, uh, you know, what, what happens to the debt we owe China if, if the CCP goes— I mean, <laughs> I just, I'm starting to think of things in a more That's a good way. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think,
0: I think the Chinese government probably holds more treasury bonds from the United States than anybody. So that right. is a valid question, honestly. Um,
1: so, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. And, and this is the same thing that, you know, down in Orange County— Why would Congresswoman Michelle Steele red bait her Asian opponent as being a a part of the communist machine? Have you no shame? And the answer these days is no. And honestly, the capacity for shame changes when the Overton window moves, when things become normalized and stuff like, uh, 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 you know, TPUSA conferences and things become breeding grounds for all kinds of weird ideologies, but especially grifts. And I don't want to dismiss NFSC without doing research as being a grift, but it smells of a yes. grift, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it's so opaque. Think, its goals yeah. are so not transparent. No. And it's,
2: yeah.
1: who who are these people? What is their stake in it? You know, and I've written a lot about pol- the political grift and how that's almost the new political economy, right? right. It is, is you know, these sort of uh, various people, MAGA communist, uh, you know, uh, um, acolytes um, people who are just dirtbag sort of right-wingers in RVs going from rally to rally trying to make a buck on live streams yeah To people like you know at the very top folks like Tucker Carlson who have made right. institutional money off of this type of rhetoric and so yeah I, um, I here I am just shaking my head <laughs> somewhat annoyed and shocked wild. but not at all surprised <laughs> like you yeah know, no, this is, it's wild yeah it's absolutely wild um, There is so much opportunity, not just politically, but economically for people to make a living off of this rhetoric. And I think the fact that, um, you know, I think there's actual research that shows the media literacy of folks who identify as conservative or right-wing and the fact that, you know, there's very little factual basis for a lot of these grievances. And our American system, our culture, our society, our education system is not built to fix this overnight. And, you know, when people talk about how do we stop Asian hate crimes, you know, I, had, I wrote a story called uh, The Lingering Wounds of Anti-Asian Hate for Mel magazine, and I spoke to two great people here in the Bay, uh, Cynthia Choi, the head of Chinese for Affirmative Action, which is a progressive nonprofit, and Eddie Zhang, um, who is a community okay. organizer and an advocate for underprivileged folks. Um, he yeah. works a lot in the East Bay in Oakland. And both of them were saying, Listen, we can't prosecute our way out of this. We are right. reaping the sins of American culture and society and political habit, and yeah. what that means is, not only are is an is an angry extremist right going to look for more targets, right, <laughs> but they're also going to be recruiting the most discontented people who are a part of the group, um, you know asians you know you can either be a a chink or some other slur and you're a commie or you can be on the right side and you're a wholehearted american and you believe in democracy and all these sort of you know uh stereotypes um and i think this will only continue to get more complicated because you know again i can't stress this enough asian american is not a monolith it means no it's
0: definitely not it's definitely not. i mean I, i think of all the times i've seen at trump rallies uh, Asian-American individuals literally wearing these outfits that are like head-to-toe mm-hmm. photos of Trump printed on fabric with American flags and like really extreme, right? And you're just yeah. like, wow, you know, it's wild. Um, but it's, again, all of this is reactionary. And I do think it's related to the economic things that underline most of uh, right-wing movements. Um,
1: right. And by the way, when, when progressive Asians advocate for things like critical race theory being uh, uh, legitimized and, and taught Um, It's because of experiences that many of us have had with family members, friends, older folks who have these very regressive takes, because especially if they were a part of the cohort like my parents were in the 1970s of coming through in a big immigration wave, um, leaving often war torn nations. Korea was a mess, basically under a fascist dictatorship after the war. Um, And America really does seem like heaven in, in a sense. And I think um what is american hegemony american hegemony is not merely its economic and militaristic strength or imperialistic might it is also the mythology around the
0: huge yes the myth is huge
1: and so to me Mm -hmm. this is we we are seeing all kinds of people protect that myth put their bodies on the line to maintain that myth to 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 trespass onto the capital in defense of that myth and naturally folks who came here in search of a better life whether it's from Cuba, whether it's from Korea, um, whether it's from Vietnam, are going to think that way. Uh, and I don't mean to say that I, uh, Asian extremism is becoming the next big thing. I actually think we're still underrepresented in that sort of political.
0: Yeah, uh, state. oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Very with much
1: you. so. Yeah. But but this is the start, right? It's and the and st- this is. There's always a yeah. start. <laughs> yeah. And this is perhaps yeah. the most American thing of all is this. Yeah. Uh, What does assimilation look like? Well, this is kind of what assimilation looks like.
0: This is what assimilation looks like. You know what's really fascinating to me, Eddie, is that a lot of the countries where these individuals, uh, their families come from, whether they're first generation or uh, second generation, whatnot, you know, like Japan has traditionally been a very ultra-nationalist government, right? I don't know if a lot of Americans know that. so I would consider that far right. They're ultra nationalists. You know, Chinese, Chinese government, communism, even with the state sponsored capitalism is one party rule. It's a bit authoritarian. Yep. Um, so there, there are Malaysia, obviously. I mean, I can go, we can go down the list and see that there yeah. is a lot of like Vietnam, the history there. There is a lot of authoritarian regimes, uh, the Philippines, like, you know, that, that is, kind of been to predominantly the forms of government, whether they're right or left, they've taken some form of authoritarianism. So I wonder like, so then you come to the United States and you're like, I want freedom. I, I believe in this myth of civil liberty and yeah. uh, you know, unbounded freedom and that's what's attractive to me. And in order to get that thing, that, I, that myth that I believe exists and that I want, I'm willing to like destroy the democracy to get it. Like, I mean, there's sort of a weird irony to that. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, and you know, I just want to point out often when you speak to folks who, who talk about these ideas, um, they don't see the contradictions, right? No, like they how, don't. For instance, like all the fervor over voter and election fraud. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's under the guise of saving democracy when you're actually trying to dismantle right. um, the elements of that process that make right. it democratic, like you exactly. know, not forcing people to stand in a line all day. Like right. so, it's just. Um,
0: or preventing Biden from here, becoming the president. I mean, it right. means it, that's the most authoritarian thing you could do, right? So it's right. wild. It's kind of...
1: And it's, I, I've been to enough protests to know that really what I think we're seeing here is a lot of isolated people trying to find community, yes. and trying to find coherent meaning in that lives that lack that, you know, I've struggled with depression. I've looked at my life and been like, why do I feel isolated? Why do I feel like we don't have rituals and social right. community and and uh, things that are easily accessible in that form? That's what has made me interested in politics and political circles and organizing. And unfortunately, I think it's just on a spectrum, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. it's not it's not strange to me at all that folks. Um, like Asian Proud Boys and, and things like that, that they relish yeah. in being different, in being not who they're supposed to be. Not yeah and I think, as as yeah, what the world perceives
0: them to be. Yeah.
1: Right. And I think that's a slightly different kind of discontent yeah. than um, our white peers who are in those same exact spaces, right? We know oh, But a lot yeah about,
0: by, by design it's gonna be, right? Because that's what that is what white supremacy does to people, right? On the right. good and the bad side, you know what I mean. It just right. defines both of those things.
1: And so, when you have Proud Boys like Enrique Tarrio saying, "We're not racist. We yeah. accept people from every," I know that they accept people from everywhere. I mean, you right. know, we've seen enough Proud we've Boys. We've seen it, but that doesn't accent, mean they're not true. racist. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It, it, it means all. that any means to an end is necessary, and right. sometimes that's that. But you know you talk to the mo or you you right. read from the most extreme perspectives in extremist circles and they're like oh everyone's just a pawn on the way to something else you know why does the far right have a yeah. snitching problem have a rat problem i wrote about that it's because these are often opportunists
2: yeah
1: uh, and it, that's that's is a huge differentiation between um you know both sides like oh the left antifa it's right. simply not the same it's not even remotely yeah the same no. money the same energy it simply is not so no yeah there's, there, uh, there's think,
0: anti-fascists are not grifters at all because most of the time they don't even want to be recognized or named you know what i mean they right. they sort of want to work with their autonomy to, to have their goal which is to defeat fascism so yeah they're very much different um, You know, and I've had those conversations. I'm having another uh, one of them that I spoke to in Beverly Hills was basically saying to me, listen, I know that racists exist. I know there are racists in the Trump organization. I know that Trump's mm-hmm. a racist. Um He's like, I don't care. He's like, because you know why I don't care? He's like, there's also racism racism on the left. There are people... Yeah. In the Biden okay. administration, that are right, re- which is all true, right? I don't just I don't dis- disacknowledge yeah. that. So his thing was like, I'm going to stand with the people that I politically agree with and not care about that aspect because that aspect's going to be there no matter what.
1: Right. That's and a valid seeking, point. Yeah, yeah, it's a valid point. And if you're seeking community, not yeah. ideological clarity, not a mission necessarily right. politically, other than take down this enemy. And that enemy yeah. could be a, a, a drag story time at a library. Right. It could be uh, randomly, like I, I, I reported on randomly a, a protest at the Chinese embassy. Like,
0: that's wild, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's an American representative. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> what are you protesting? Like, so. I don't, <laughs> um,
0: I, I don't like, know if they know.
1: <laughs> so uh, it, 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 it's about vibes. So much of this is about vibes. It's about vibing in the right way and finding yeah. a sense of comfort finding acceptance. Yeah, I think community. that's
0: true. hundred yeah, percent. And true.
1: that is not to um, downplay the tactical violence. Uh, right. things like Governor Gretchen Whitmer trying to get or trying to kidnap uh, Whitmer. Uh, these yeah. there are serious, dangerous people. There are yes. murderers and killers and rapists uh, who are extremists. But the vast majority, especially in the post-Trump era or uh, the post-2016 era, are not quite that. And I think that's why, you know, I was browsing um, Andrew Callahan's new HBO to the Channel 5 HBO documentary, This Place Rules, in which he just went around the country interviewing Q and MAGA and all of that. None of those people make sense. None of these people make sense. (laughs) I don't. you know that's why that's why we 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 cringe and chuckle and and why we watch yeah. that documentary on hbo is because i haven't seen it i'll have to check it out <laughs> yeah and but but there are serious serious harms right like there yeah. in, in one clip we see like a nine or ten year old child just repeating talking points he's homeschooled and he's isolated because none of his peers want to hear about how joe biden is a reptile you know like it, oh my god and so we see you know, instead of what I was hoping as a someone in my 20s thinking, oh, Gen Z is going to change the world. It's never right. like that because we're all products of our upbringing and the society right. that we grow up in. That's and why that change is slow. Changed. Yeah, yeah, that's why change is slow. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, uh, that's going to be the trailing effects of this. Like, I, I, I'm not so, I personally, I'm privileged enough to not really be fearful of getting attacked by a white or Asian person. Uh, who disagrees with me politically what i am afraid of is the descendant of that thought right whether that's a literal child or just their effect on their community their families yeah. the people around them
0: that kid has and no yes, idea that that's false information that's no, really tragic. No, no. it's tragic and, and, really
1: and yeah and even people who disagree are often put into this stalemate where they can't really yeah. do anything because they're worried about just further, like you know, further pushing uh, pushing a person away and disenfranchising right. them. I mean, it, it's such a complicated place to be in society. It's psychologically, why,
0: very complicated. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why scholars are really looking at like what needs to change structurally in the way that we're educated, in the way that we communicate with one another, in the way that we break out of echo chambers, especially online. Um, I think that's where a lot of the the sort of energy is is being put into and rightfully so because i don't think we can just uh counter protest and police our way out of this unfortunately right. and i think both of those things do play a role but um but it, you know especially and I'm, I'm uh heartened to hear that uh, more people are reporting hate crimes or hate incidents against them um and you know that's a good thing you know, people need to be aware of this rather than it happening and just going home and trying to forget about it. So yeah, it's gonna be a long road ahead.
0: It's gonna be a long road ahead. Before we move on to the next topic, which is I wanna look at some of the writing you've done with uh, abortion and white Mm -hmm. supremacy. You're familiar with sovereign citizen um, ideology.
2: There's no sense of what belongs to who and you know, uh, and then, uh, to, to me, that makes for a lot of chaos, it makes for a lot of theft, and it paves the way for, it paves the way for tremendous violence. And we've seen that in every, you know, communist revolution uh, that we've observed in history. There's always tremendous violence, there's genocide, often based on class. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, what they do is they foment a lot of hatred for anyone who happens to be successful. So it's built on on greed and avarice, really. So. And I'm not saying there isn't greed and and avarice in capitalism because there certainly is, but you know, at the very least in capitalism, transactions are, they're they're supposed to be voluntary. So, you know, we effectively believe that, you know, uh, within uh, the boundaries that are established by God, which is that we may not initiate force, uh, you know, against the life, liberty or property of anyone else, within those boundaries, we should be allowed to do as we please as individuals. So, you know, with our own lives, with our own liberty, with our own property
0: this seemed really counterintuitive to me at the time that uh, that anybody that came from the asian culture would kind of jive with these beliefs um but a lot of it was again driven by anti-communist rhetoric uh what are your thoughts on that this is probably not a very common thing to see i'm guessing
1: no um it's not something that i've come across a lot in fact if uh within the topic of sovereign citizen movements i think it's black americans that are uh, maybe highly represented. Um, oh, really? Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, you know, I wrote about uh, a Portland family that was uh, evading eviction, and they were doing so through increasing sort of sovereign citizen rhetoric, and had you know anti-fascist sort of occupying space and keeping police out of this eviction. Very weird swirl of things, but yeah, um, that's... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, I think sovereign citizen movements are the most pure individualistic uh, sort of reactionary anti-authoritarian tactic. Uh, And it is strange to hear about um, Asian folks going down that path only because that implies a deep, deep, deep interest in American law and how to leverage it almost always incorrectly but you know and so i'm trying to think who would be attracted to that certainly you know carving out your own space <laughs> your own jurisdiction is maybe the american dream the most american dream of all but uh it almost reminds me of how folks are trying to create autonomous zones in seattle and things like that more than more than necessarily Yeah, i guess it's, it's the right
0: movement. wing militia response on the other side to yeah i gotcha
1: yeah Um, And so, yeah, it's but again, as soon as you start going down, if you declare yourself a sovereign citizen or you're interested, all of a sudden, boom, automatically you're within a community, a very niche community. And I think there is power and agency that comes from that decision, because legally and financially, I don't think it's worth the trouble for most people to to leverage the sovereign citizen thing. It's very now, very well, complicated. No, it just to
0: me it doesn't make sense because, it, especially if um, you're somebody that believes, if you're super right wing, it makes sense to me. But if you're somebody that believes in leftist ideals, such as the common good, it doesn't make sense. The reason you pay taxes is because that money goes into funding the fire department, paved roads, libraries, right. you know, things of that nature. And these guys don't think they should have to pay any taxes to the yeah. government, or, or there's no, you know, common public goods.
1: Yeah, well, and I will say, Tina, um, I think maybe one of the counterpoints is that sometimes there is kind of a land back or reparations take to sovereign citizen movements. uh, I have not seen that. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, within uh, uh, the black sovereign citizen movement, that is often uh, the case. It Hmm. it is a wrestling back of of control and agency. Um, And I think it's partly inspired by, I mean, perhaps the oldest autonomous movement in terms of Native American uh reservation lands and things like that although the history around that is very tragic of course um i, I think there is at least this idea that um it's almost interesting to me, that, it that, almost that, that makes more
0: think. sense to me than this ruby ridge kind of mentality but okay
1: yeah uh, <laughs> you know uh, but what I'm that's saying? All the, you know with the bundies that's also the a right. similar thing right you know hey these are my cattle they're on blm lands but that's mine you can't mess with it type of attitude um, right it, it does kind of yeah Yeah, to me, it is uh, a vision of like old America, you know, like 1700s, like eighteen hundreds type of America. It's it's that sort of vision. And, you know, it's funny because I've heard that strategy applied to so many political niches, including like incels who want to create like a new territory just for other incels where women can be invited. But, you know, and be slaves, agree to be raped. (laughs) Right and so it, it's yeah <laughs> it's like this little template that you can place on on top of a lot of political ideologies where someone gets to the breaking point and they're like you know what screw it i'm just not going to participate in american right. infrastructure anymore it's like going off the grid except you uh right. refuse to pay taxes and then get audited by the irs in a very right. painful and years-long process be-
0: <laughs> exactly not my idea of a good time i i so on I, that note i want to turn towards white supremacists uh, and their obsession with abortion and fertility rates right so this yeah. is definitely a thing it sort of ties back into the idea of, of white replacement theory right the reason yeah. that a lot of the neo-nazis out there are against abortion is because they don't think white women are having enough white children and they want to encourage that right they they need, they think white women are need to have like 20 times more babies than they already are having Um, So you wrote two um, pieces that I thought were both very good. The first one I want to put up is white supremacists like the Buffalo shooter are obsessed with fertility. Uh Um, This is an angle I don't think uh, a lot of folks have considered uh, Uh because this goes beyond just the abortion. This is the actual fertility, right? So the Buffalo shooter talked up birth rates and demographic, demographic, demographic shifts as key indicators of the replacement of whites in America. It's an old trope wielded by right wing America since the turn of the 20th century, and it's become a powerful meme to justify violence today. If there's one thing I want you to get from these writings, it's that white birth rates must change. That's from his manifesto.
2: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> um, so reads the first line of the Buffalo shooter's rambling 180-page page message to the world. Much of it was plagiarized from previous mass shooter manifestos, and though many portions of the document, um, and though and through sorry, and through many of the portions of the document, 18-year-old Peyton gendron obsesses over women and their fertility regurgitating right-wing talking points about the loss of white supremacy as other races fill in america so that was the first piece i want to talk about that uh, first and then we'll turn to the other one on abortion uh, it's a common theme. Yeah. we've seen it um they're convinced that you know part of the problem i have with their rhetoric is in their mind's eye all white women agree with them right <laughs> yes we all, uh, we're, which, None of us are, are dating people outside of the white race, which is insane. That's right. <laughs> and, and we all want to just have white babies, and the reason we're not doing that is because we're not staying at home, we're out working instead or whatnot. So what are, what are some of the thoughts you had when you were writing this?
1: You know, to, to me, it's so interesting how so much of white discontent in this country is evidenced as boiling down to the perception of scarcity. They are losing something. And that's what's so powerful about the hegemony, right? Like it's, it's a big fancy word used by leftists and all that. But it, what it really talks about is why is there dominance of a culture and of a group? And what mythologies maintain that? And so this fear that there's loss, there's loss of, of, of speech rights, there's loss of protection from police, there's loss of fertility and white children. It all comes yes. from, I think, a long-standing insecurity, and we saw that again. We saw that after Reconstruction. We saw that after Jim Crow laws fell, and most recently, um, it, it became a fight when schools were forced to be desegregated, and the right. Christian right saw what was happening, and they're like, "Oh, like no, 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 no! Like we we have to yeah. put our foot in somehow," and which is why the anti-abortion debate first got started in the 60s i mean christians were not all that upset about abortion till that point no they weren't at at all and in fact
0: catholic church actually supported abortion if um there's a great documentary on this called reversing row if Mm. um, anyone has an interest in that you're right it was not a it was not the thing that it is today
1: right and so we see an example of how civil rights uh advancement led to a need to desegregate schools, which led to perceived scarcity of white spaces, white education, all of that. Um, and so, you know, to create abortion as a wedge issue um, makes a lot of sense. And and to tie it back to fertility, it, it makes a lot of sense because it's not the thing, it's a thing right. that exactly. is a part of the argument. Right. You know, it's never just about fertility. It's never just about immigration. It's never just about um, the harms of minority representation. You know, it's 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 the same thing when men seem to be upset that a woman was going to be a ref in the NFL. Remember that argument years yeah. ago when the first yeah. female referee in the NFL and and some people made it out to be a decline in the sport or the yeah, we loss just... of. <laughs> jobs for men if that was ever the issue in the nfl it's it's it's, crazy so yeah you know scarcity and i've been trying to think about how scarcity affects all of the political discourse and turmoil in this country but but yeah i mean the obsession with and it's
0: false scarcity false scarcity
1: often yeah exactly um you know I, i i think declining birth rates are a concern insofar as is that many modern Western democracies seem to be struggling um, in, in terms of the future of that. You know, for me personally, I think it's more about young people facing huge. Uh, they can't afford challenges to have kids. Yeah, of, yeah. In, in terms of wealth and the lack of generational wealth exactly. and, and all of that. But you know, when it feels like something is going wrong, um, a lot of people will take a big idea and just repeat it you know things become memes and i think uh the loss of the white race because of declining birth rates is one of those memes that is just so 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 common so spammed across so many different groups incel groups white uh you know sort of white hate groups um various even multiracial extremist groups like the proud boys still often buy into this type of thing and they they blame all forms of societal change for that happening. Right. Oh, like, you know, oh, is it the queerification of America that's, that's right. doing it? Is, it? is it critical race theory and people wanting to marry outside their race? Like, that doesn't even make sense. What are, what are the connections, really? But, you know, when you yeah. feel like you're under attack, you're going to push back somehow. And I think this is uh, another way, you know. And that's why I say when someone like that young, young man goes on that mass killing and writes white birth rates must change in his manifesto, I mean, does that really, to me, does that really explain what pushed him to that point? No, it doesn't. What it explains is that they were subsumed in an online culture, most likely, right. that was memeing the hell out of that point. And um, there's, you know, a lot of scholarship around radicalization and rabbit holes and red pilling. But, you know, all those points still stand. And I think, yeah. um, what's what's going to be the next thing, Tina? What do you think? I mean... I'm trying to think, well, will we circle uh, back to the border issue? Will we?
0: Uh, yeah, know, will oh, that's we... never going to go away. You know, so it's interesting to me because um, I I think what's happening and I think you're hitting on this when when you're talking about, you know, the Proud Boys, even they're a multicultural organization. What they're complaining about, they're not going to say it's the decline of white civilization. They're saying it's the decline of Western civilization. Yes. Right. Um, and it, that, that's a word play as far as I'm concerned, because the right. implication of that is white civilization, right? So when, when we say Western civilization, we mean white because we, we're talking about European nations that went and conquered other places, right in, in search of empire. Um, I also think it's really disturbing that this idea that, okay, so you know we've now dec- decoded the human genome. We mm-hmm. all know that race is biologically vacuous. it's not really a thing. Uh, so so the, the things that define race at this point are cultural, like what are the cultural norms? And I don't think that those fairly or adequately describe race either in the sense because if you are from Sweden per se, Sweden is very multicultural, it's uh, mm-hmm. not just white folks. The cultural norms there in Sweden transcend race, right? It's about being Swedish, like right. we celebrate, you know, uh, midsummer because midsummer is a Swedish cultural celebration, right? It's got nothing to do with race. Whereas you go to other parts of the globe. Uh, now, now, is it the case if you've been in a very uh, hegemonic society that everybody in that, in that society is, is the same race and they all celebrate that culture together? Yes, that's possible too. But I think that as, as you know, people intermarry, for example, that starts to go away as well. It's not just the genetic alleles that sort of spread out, right? So, right. um, and I do think that circles back to scarcity. I agree with you. I think that's exactly, it's perceived panic over a loss. Yep. Um, and I do think that that perceived panic would be far less if there was less income inequality. I think the big driver of all of this truly is income yeah. inequality.
1: Yeah, um, and I can't help but make parallels again to incels. Um, yeah. You know, there was <laughs> a, mean... study, a study that I wrote about that tied, correlated um, incel, speech and expression online with widening income uh you know inequality gaps on the ground um perceived uh loss of community spaces so on and so forth so Mm -hmm. i mean look at korea again south korea um, sometimes a dream in the minds of some extremists as a nation that seems to have its stuff together but actually south korea very much does not you know because of horrible crushing wealth inequality especially for younger generations I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing a huge anti-feminist movement, a big incel movement, a lot of sort of desperation around, I don't have any prospects professionally and I don't have them sexually either because of that. Although a lot of that, again, is false scarcity Uh, and and sometimes very real scarcity in terms of, you know, if people... uh, or like depressed and not working, well, they're not gonna go out as much either, but- um, Yeah, they're not gonna go out
0: as much. And also the way that they come across to women, it can be really problematic and they don't wanna sort of address that. Maybe, Maybe these guys, if they stopped for a second and thought like, Oh, being really mean and abusive towards a woman isn't going to get me laid. They don't. They don't seem to realize that. They instead they worship guys like you know Andrew Tate, who's been in the news, who are telling them, "Yes, manipulate young women, hit them, rape them. It's fine. That's how you get what you want from them." Like, no, that's not. That is absolutely not the case. But yeah, that is who, that's the messaging that they're hearing.
1: Right, and the even more nuanced messaging is, "Hey, even if you don't want to do those things." Progressive culture has gone too far. We right. need to bring back common sense and hierarchy to the way that people right. relate to one another. So that's, that's the strange thing is that, um, you know, so much of what we've been talking about on this podcast is a distinctly American expression mm-hmm. of political turmoil. However, aspects of that at the core, at the foundation are happening all across the world in western style democracies um right. uh, and it's really creating a lot of the same patterns in terms of male discontent discontent in the hegemonic demographic um and uh and how the internet thing leads yeah. those folks into very very defined niche rabbit holes um, where they can come to a certain kind of potentially violent conclusion yeah about what needs to change in the world Um, And that's why, you know, January 6th 6th is such an American thing. And yet it's not. It's not. Um, And uh, I, I think that's why so much of what I would like to see, even in terms of the media coverage around this, is looking at, well, what patterns are we reliving right now? What did right. happen after reconstruction? What did happen after minority groups gained agency in big ways? What happened yeah. after minority groups got visibility in big yeah. ways? Like how did Yeah, uh, we've, we this isn't harassing. our first time
0: at the ra- rodeo, right? We've no, been No, these no, no, even in World War 2. Yeah. How
1: did Japanese internment 100%.
0: affect That's
1: right. affect hate crimes and demonization of people who That's were right. not interned and other That's Asians? Right. I mean, it's just um, there was after it, World
0: War II in this country, the United States of America. I don't know a lot of folks realize this. We had very robust right wing extremist movements happening. Whether it was the German Bund, whether it was the Christian Front, which is I was very you know very much right wing militia group. So I mean we've right. sort of lived through this. I don't think um, I don't think it's necessarily worse now than it was then. It feels yeah. worse now because we're living through it, right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, there's definitely there's definitely been cycles of this in the United States.
1: Yeah. And to tie it all back, I do think what is kind of unique about our conversation today is I think because of the lack of political visibility for many Asian American communities and Asian immigrant communities so far, yeah. I think it is almost kind of a canary in the coal mine type of a metaphor at play here, because I think what we see in terms of Asian extremism Asian reactionary thought, um, a new Asian conservatism movement, including in places that are, quote-unquote, liberal heavens like San Francisco. Um, I think that is uh, demonstrating what American society and what culture and American politics today, what kind of emotions and tactics that they're inspiring. right? And this is why I'm also very critical of the Democratic Party because they missed opportunities I to agree really put a foot down in the ground <laughs> and say we're going to sort of re-steer the direction of right. the narrative of the rhetoric right. but instead we're just caught in this um sort of two-party pong game yeah. while folks who are just dis- sort of disenfranchised by both mainstream parties are yeah. finding new ways to express and new ways to be violent both yeah. physically and rhetorically and emotionally. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of lack of leadership from the Republican Party when it comes to these sort of fascist and fascist ideas and figures, but certainly not the kind of pushback that we uh, many of us wanted right. from the Democratic Party. You know, I agree. Um, you may know this, but the Dems funded many extremist candidates across the country in an attempt to yes. destabilize Republicans.
0: Pied Piper, and, yeah. They, they and, really believe and, that.
1: And yeah, it, it, hey, if someone told me that works, then okay, I would nod along. But it doesn't what work, harm? though. What is the rhetorical harm of. They don't care. There's that, too. Yeah. yeah, there so. is rhetorical
0: harm that comes from moving that Overton window. You're 100% correct on that. But they stupidly also believe that these people were unelectable because they don't, they, they can't read the room. Yeah. They don't see where we are.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we see these. The trickle down of political decisions and the way that our political economy is taught, is consumed and is sold. And we see now that it's like brought a community that once was not on the political fringe very much into the political fringe. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, uh, uh, not to tokenize Asians as the canary in the coal mine. But from my perspective, it, it is kind of like that metaphor.
0: Indeed, Um, I wanted to, we sort of touched on this. Um, There was a second article, the anti-abortion movement was always about a race Mm -hmm. war. Um, I think this is true. Uh, So I wanna throw that up really quickly. The debate about the rights of a pregnant person and an unborn fetus has raged for decades. But the origin of the American anti-abortion movement wasn't built in good faith. Instead, it relied on right wing organizing around fears of white extinction, which continues to fuel the anti-choice rage that we see today. Um, I agree with you on this. I think it drives a lot of, uh, you know, the religious right as well.
1: Yeah. And I think. Um, later on in the article, I mentioned, you know, some of the words and actions of the biggest leaders in this conservative religious movement say it all. You know, Jerry Falwell, um, very, very famous. Um, He claimed later that opposing abortion inspired his religious career. But in reality, he didn't even deliver a sermon on the topic until more than five years after Roe versus Wade had passed, um, according to a historian. Uh, And his his close friend and ally, Paul Weyrich, basically said the quiet part out loud when he said quote what galvanized the christian community was not abortion school prayer or the equal rights amendment what changed their minds was jimmy carter's intervention against christian schools trying to deny them tax-exempt status on the base of so-called de facto segregation is what he said in an interview so that's paul a um sort of a, a big uh figure in the moral majority slash sort of new right. christian right campaign that started in 19 uh in the late 1970s and that along with um uh the moral influence of ronald reagan um, yeah oh huge celebrated as the father of the pro-life movement i mean this was really a a ripe time for conservatives to stoke um growing fears about rising sexual social economic liberation of women um and portraying abortion rights as a symptom of how america was going wrong so you you hear all the same uh things the themes of change of scarcity of loss of perceived loss and how status quo america was supposed to be the ideal um you know given that these were folks who were fighting against civil rights in various ways i don't know how, how true we should you know view that but that's exactly uh how the escalation happened. You have top-down rhetoric that influences, you know, even the KKK by 1985 was in on this thing that they had never, ever cared about before, ever. Um, And they were putting up wanted signs for, you know, asking for personal information of abortion providers and stuff like that. So you see immediately within 10 years um, the escalation of rhetoric and, you know, potential for violence. Indeed.
2: Um,
1: And... I, and, and that's why when I talk about things in good faith and in bad faith, I like to use that framing in some of my op-eds and writings because I think conservatism is not inherently bad faith. You know, I right. would be okay with the existence of an American conservative movement that was basing its rhetoric on evidence and scholarship and with good faith interaction and debate with the other side. But unfortunately I think what we've seen right now is a regression of politics where everything is kind of a money-making opportunity and anything goes if you can attempt to get the final uh, uh, outcome that you want. And so something like this, like the new Christian right in the 1970s and 80s working in bad faith to gin up um, tempers and panic about abortion and about the corrosion of American society at a time when America was becoming the most successful, most capitalist, most rich uh, uh, nation in the world, right. it's just a little bit bizarre, right? It, it doesn't—it <laughs> yeah. doesn't make sense in the way that some of us want it to. But I think that's by design. I think right. the 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 smoke and mirrors is always by design when it comes to this kind of extremism and this corner of conservatism, which has now become far more than a corner. It's become. Right. The landscape um yeah
0: it's quickly becoming definitely becoming the landscape um eddie i wanted to thank you so much for joining me today a really informative conversation um and i also want to ask you where people what's the best place for people to find your work i know mail magazine but your twitter wherever else you think is a good place for them to look you up
1: um, thank you so much for having me, Tina. This was a wide ranging and honestly, like really thoughtful conversation even for me to walk through as I'm writing um, an academic journal article on actually rising reactionary politics in oh, right. Asian communities. So awesome, perfect. Um, you can find more of my stuff. I'm still on Twitter, still hanging yeah. on. <laughs> I'm, I'm still hanging Eddie on Kim too. <laughs> at... <laughs> so yeah, Eddie Kim X, E-D-D-I-E-K-I-M-X. Um, people can reach out to me also on my website, eddiekim.net. if you want to reach out or talk about some other things, um, please feel free to reach out to me. But yeah, you know, if if I were just to say one last thing before we go, yep. I think, um, look at strategy and tactics and how much they differ from the actual thing that's happening on the ground. And That's not disjointed because things are foolish and clumsy and not done right. Although that's part of it. It's also like by design in a way to sort of serve as a misdirection from what people Mm -hmm. are really wanting. And I think at the core is that inequality and loss of community that there's been reams and reams and reams of material written about this. So yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna keep thinking about that after this talk, but um, thank you very much for having me on.
2: Absolutely, thanks Eddie.